number six. Talking about spiritual warfare. And what you have in form of an outline has the blanks filled in because that's a copy of one I had already. I would have reprinted it, but we didn't have a good, a good, uh, uh, the, the good copy. We'll try to get it fixed probably Tuesday, Lord willing. But it's already got the answer, so you could just go home now if you wanted to. But, <laughs> but I won't let you. All right. Well, I'll let you do whatever you want to do. But uh, anyway. Ephesians chapter number 6, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. I'm in verse 10, sorry. And in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Fathers, we're entering into this study and uh, spiritual warfare. We know we're, we're entering into the devil's activity and devil's playground. And dear God, people, uh, he doesn't want people to know about the, him. He doesn't want people to know who we are and definitely doesn't want us to walk in victory. So we we pray that the blood of Jesus Christ would be on this place tonight and on me. And Lord, that you would just cleanse us. And, and Lord, we just take our stand and our position in Jesus Christ because there's victory in Jesus and through his blood. And we just pray, claiming that tonight as, as we begin this message in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. I want to read a, a pretty lengthy, some statements from a book that that uh, I believe I used to have this book and read it years ago and, and probably left it in Africa and re- recently got it again. Mark Bubeck was a Canadian Baptist preacher. He wrote some good books on spiritual warfare, on the adversaries, probably the most common books called The Adversary and then Overcoming the Adversary. But, but at the end of his life, he put together a, a kind of a workbook and preparing for spiritual battle. And that's what I'm working through, kind of preparing these messages. But But I just want to say what he says right at the very beginning, and I think it'll be helpful to us. First of all, let's read, hold your finger there, but let's go back to John chapter 10. He starts with that, so I want to start with that. John chapter number 10. Verse 10. Jesus speaking, he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. You know, because Jesus wants us to have life and have it more abundantly, it's even more so that we know that the thief cometh but for to steal, kill, and destroy. It's like everything Jesus wants for us, he wants to destroy it. He wants to destroy it. 
Bubeck says Satan's strategy is to use whoever, whatever, wherever, and whenever, however, and whyever to destroy our God-given, blood-bought opportunity to live out the eternal glorified life in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you knew someone was planning to break into your home, you'd be prepared, on guard, ready to take appropriate action. But what if you knew someone was intent to destroy your marriage, hurt your children, wreak havoc in your life? What would you do? Certainly you would not stand by and do nothing. The reality is, as Jesus said, and Jesus is not a liar, Satan is intently focused on our destruction. No one is too precious, too young, too sweet, too good, too anything else to be immune to his attacks. And Satan is quick to take advantage of the person who's unsure, doubtful, skeptical, cynical about his existence and power. People, such, uh, such people are these that are easy targets for Satan and his devouring fallen angels. Many professed Christians don't believe in the spirit world, don't really believe in the spirit world, that it's real or relevant or needs to be dealt with. They may not often verbalize this, but it's obvious by the way they act. One, and he quotes a, a one man that's Timothy Warner, he says, people may not always live what they profess, but they always live what they believe. That's interesting. You may say you believe in the devil, but not, if you don't really believe in the devil, you're not going to live like it. Same thing goes for God. A lot of people profess they know God, but it doesn't mean anything in their life. You live, you live out what you believe, not what you profess. He goes on, we're in a fierce battle with the enemy of our souls. Spiritual warfare is a biblical reality. It occurs whether we acknowledge it or not. Satan doesn't need our assent to attack us. If we're not on guard, wearing our spiritual armor and equipped with tools of biblical warfare, he will try to rip our lives apart. These attacks, now listen to this, this is good. These attacks may be viewed as merely struggles with drug dependency, juvenile delinquency, emotional instability, family dysfunction, mental illness, or a thousand other labels for problems we view as normal. Or perhaps we and our family are plagued with unusual illnesses, injuries or freak, from frequent accidents or other medical maladies. We spend thousands of dollars on therapists, doctors, detox therapies, surgeries, enlightenment seminars, books, retreats, and more that fail to consider spiritual oppression. Some problems seem to get better, but new ones always surface, and many of the old ones come back. It never ends, and we scratch our heads wondering why. The question is not whether we wrestle with demonic spirits, but who is winning? Who is winning? He lists some signs of satanic revival. This book was written, the one he wrote on satanic revival was written in the 80s. But we, it hasn't changed. It, if it was bad then, it's bad now. Signs of satanic revival. Sexual immorality, immorality pornography, free expression of sensuality. If it was bad then, it's, it's, it's totally gone now. A preoccupation with violence and death. I would say, including the killing of the unborn. You realize how wicked that is? How evil that is? You realize what the battleground is right now for this election? Do you realize? Because I'm, I'm telling you, we could, we could overturn Roe versus Wade. We could. With the death of Ginsburg, she was a very wicked woman, had a lot of blood on her hands. That's what I'll say. That's what I'll say. We don't rejoice in the death of our enemies, but I'm glad she's gone. 
because now a conservative can be put in there. And it's going to be a fight. Do you realize if we get a conservative in there that we could overturn Roe v. Wade? you realize how wicked the whole abortion industry is? How demonic it is? That's, that's what this thing's about. I'm telling you, I vote pro-life and I vote pro-Israel and I vote pro-family. And I don't care whether he's wearing a Democrat or a Republican label. I'll vote for that particular person. And, uh, you know, you say, well, you know, you shouldn't talk about politics. I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about what the Bible says life. Abortion is not a political issue. It's a, it's a God thing. God, God ordained life, and it, it starts in the womb. It starts at the moment of conception. And uh, Karen even put in the bulletin the other day, the 14th Amendment of our country guarantees the right to life for every person. That person is, is alive. It's a baby in that, in that womb from very conception. But it's demonic. What I'm saying is, this is these are signs of uh, satanic. These people that are uh, opposing and tearing down streets and things that have, that have totally used uh, a certain thing just to get over on everyone. I want to tell you something. That's demonic. It's demonic. And, and we need to recognize it for what it is. Growing involvement in the occult. That's huge. He goes on to say this, and then we'll, we'll get back to the message. Success in spiritual warfare needs a Bible and doctrinal approach. Satan only backs off when he's confronted with the authority we possess in the Lord Jesus Christ. This authority is grounded in God's Word. That's good stuff. That's why I used it. And we're going to uh, be referencing that in coming weeks. But... Remember what I said last week, you can't win spiritual victory unless you've submitted to God. That's why we preached on crowning Jesus as Lord in your life. Every area of our lives, James 4, 7 says, submit to God and resist the devil. You can't resist the devil unless you submit to God. And so, as it says there on your outline, you don't have to be saved very long before you realize you're in a battle. You're in a battle. We're once the children of devil, now we're the children of God, praise God. And uh, there's been a marvelous change from being a, a victim of sin to a victor. But nowhere does the Scripture teach that your new birth automatically eliminates demonic influence or bondage. People come to Christ and they get saved. They get forgiven of their sins. They get eternal life. A whole bunch of things happens the moment you get saved. But you still bring you into that salvation experience. And I bring me. And you may have bondage, baggage. You may have cargo. You know, people, I used to say people come to the Lord with baggage. No, it's cargo nowadays. I mean, I mean, and, and, you know, all kinds of, of stuff come in. Well, the devil uses that. He'll use your past, though God's forgiven it. He'll try to pull it up. He'll use everything. He'll use so many things to try to keep you from living victorious. Satan hates you and I. Mark it down, he does. He doesn't want you to know who you are in the Lord, and he doesn't want you to know we're at war or how to fight it. He operates on the Christian's ignorance. Hold your finger there in Ephesians 6. Go back to 2 Corinthians 2. Second Corinthians 2. 11 
Uh, verse 10, is he's talking about forgiveness. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For I, if I forgive anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgive I it in the person of Christ. He's talking about forgiving the brother that they, he told him in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, he told him to put him out of the church because he was, he was having a relationship with his father's wife, his stepmother. And he tells him how to deal with it, told him to put him out of the church. It's apparent that the brother repented. Now he's instructing them, forgive him and bring him back in. And lest, verse 11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. A lot of Christians are ignorant of his devices. And he plays on our ignorance. He operates on a Christian's ignorance. And also fear. He operates on a Christian's fear. He walks about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Understand that. The Satan, as a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may devour. I want to tell you something. He's got a big roar, but his teeth were pulled at Calvary. All right. God took, I mean, and he he is God's devil. We'll get to that as we look at it in the next couple weeks, who he is really and where he came from and how he gets his authority. So the Bible frequently uses images of war for the Christian life. Look at uh, with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Were there in 2 Corinthians? Or I was. Oh. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And then 1 Timothy chapter 1. First Timothy chapter 1, 18. This charge I commit unto thee, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. Talking about the warfare there. He goes on, First Timothy chapter 6. He tells Timothy this over and over again. First Timothy 6, 12. Fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called, and hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Jump over to Second Timothy, chapter two, verse one. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So the Christian life's a warfare. And then the, the great passage there in chapter 4 where he says, I've fought the fight. I've finished my course. Christian life is a battle. You, you, when, you sign, when you got saved, you signed up for the army. Okay, You're in the, you're in the spiritual army. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I want to look there again. Or, or look there, I'm sorry. I looked at it earlier. I'm sorry, look there again. It's again for me. I think it's good that we read this every now and then. I have to, I memorize this verse, but I have to go back and remind myself of this all the time. Matthew 16, 18. And I say unto thee, also unto thee, that thou art Peter, 
And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I remind myself all over and over again that God will build His church. It's not my church, it's His church, and He will build His church. My job is not to fill the pew, my job is to fill the pulpit. And if I fill the pulpit, God will take care of the pew, right? And God will send in the people and all that. But the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That was a promise the Lord gave. In ancient military times, a military tactic was used by armies to to break down a fortress like Brother Rick had up there with a battering ram. You may have seen an old movie where they did this with the battering rams. And they would, they would batter down the gates of these fortresses. And once they knocked the gate down, then they could rush it and then they could be, operate from the inside. While they're, in other words, they would take over. And Jesus told, told us that Satan and his forces were not able to withstand or prevent the onward march of Christianity. That's so good that we see that. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church will prevail. The church has always prevailed. The church is going to prevail through COVID. Right? I don't understand why all churches aren't open. They ought to be. They ought to be. We don't take our orders from the governor or the state, we take our orders from heaven. And God has said that the gates of hell should not prevail against it. We need to go forward in the strength of the Lord. Now the gates of hell are going to beat against the church. And they have ever since the beginning of the church 2,000 years ago. But history has proven that the gates of hell will not prevail. They never have prevailed. I mean, they tried to kill the church in China and the church in China is thriving Many times over, you just read church history of how they've tried to they've tried to do away with the church, and Christians have died and martyred. But it's like they die here, and more pop up over here. Why? Because Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail. That Christianity is going to go forward, and praise God for that. So he attacks the church, and how does he do it? This is how he attacks the church. He attacks it through individual members. That's how he attacks the church by you being under attack. By me being under attack. So are we left without instruction? Absolutely not. We have the word of God, praise God. And we have a passage on the Christian armor. So, back to where we started, Ephesians chapter number 6. And we're going to look at this armor for the next few weeks. And take this apart verse by verse. I know we were in Ephesians maybe a year or so ago in our Sunday morning service, but I don't think I slowed down as much as I'm going to now on this, on this series. To begin with, we're going to look at, at four things, but probably only two tonight. One is the power of the believer. One's the posture of the believer. And then probably next week we'll look at the responsibility and the enemy. Begin with the enemy of the believer. First of all, the power of the believer, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. We're told here to be strong, but the strength is not in ourselves. Now that's fundamental that we know that. Fundamental that we know that our strength is not enough. Whatever you're facing today, your strength's not enough. Never was intended to be. But God says, my grace is sufficient. And His strength is good. That's why He says the strength of the Christian life is dependent on God. All other strength is against God's strength, up next to God's strength, is impotent. 
There is no strength except for God's strength. He gives us that strength. And Paul's epistles goes over time and time again of who we are in Christ. Over a hundred times the term in Christ or in the Lord is used. I think God's trying to tell us something. For instance, His way is our way. His power is our power. And right here, His strength is our strength. Um, Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I'm telling you, I don't even live the Christian life in my own strength and power. And when it comes to fighting the devil, my strength's not enough. The devil will work me over one side and up and down the other. No way. But he's no match for God. Amen. And our strength is in the Lord. It's never strong enough in and of ourselves. It's only as we identify with him and, and, and appropriate his strength in our life that we'll have the strength to fight. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. In the context of that, that whole letter is about glorifying God and having the joy in our lives and, and living the Christian life and, and living on uh, nothing or living on something. He says, I've re, you know, learned how to abound and, and be abased and all of those things. How do you do that? I can do all things through Christ which strengthen. None of the people use that verse for a lot of stuff. I remember taking my boys one time to see these Christian heavyweight dudes, you know. I can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. I said, I'm going to tell you something right now. Those guys have been at the gym. That's how they got their strength. They may give glory to God and I get all that, but man, it was just a flesh show. I apologize for taking them. Just, you know, these guys breaking 12 phone books and stuff like that. I'm like, all right, they give a testimony. Okay, all right, well. What's that? Yo, what's a phone book? A phone book is a book that had phone numbers in it. How many of you have got one recently and threw it away? Uh, keep it. You might need it for firewood one day. That's <laughs> but anyway, yeah, they did all this stuff, but it's like, and that was the verse. Who can do all things through Christ which strengthened me. Actually, they probably used another translation. and All the other translations doesn't say Christ. It says Him. I can do all things through Him. Who? Let's be more specific. Is it Allah or is it Christ? Anyway, that's a rabbit. I'll, run, I'll, I'll quit running that rabbit. Okay. Now, this is beautifully illustrated in Joshua chapter 1. Go back there with me. Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. The Israelites were getting ready to go over into the promised land. Verse 1, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, and to the great river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites, and even unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. I meant to emphasize verse number three. He says, have I given unto you. 
verse 5, There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Be strong and of good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mightest, mayest observe to do all to do according to all the law, which Moses my servant commanded thee, turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. So we told him, I'm going to be with you. The land is yours. I've already given the land to you. Now go take it. And you know, we don't fight for victory as a Christian. We fight from victory. Jesus Christ won the victory for us on Calvary. When we're saved, we're in a battle, but we won the war. We've already won the war. All you got to do is read the book. We win. We win. But we've got to day by day fight the battle. And live the Christian life. But we do it from a position of possession. We've already got the victory. Now the devil doesn't want you to know that. He wants you to be defeated and and downhearted and doubting all the time instead of victorious in Christ. What happened? What changed Joshua? So that was the promise. But look over chapter 5 of Joshua. Joshua had had the word right there, but he had to get his orders and realize his position before he could go into battle. And the night before the battle, Joshua's out strolling. I think he's just doing what a a leader is probably doing. He's just out, you know, maybe out praying, just, just, you know, ready to, the next day's the big day. Verse 14, pick it up, chapter 5. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as a captain of the host of the Lord am I now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place wherein thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. So he had the orders. He had the word. The land is yours, Joshua. You've got to lead this people over. We've got the word on it. And we've got our commander living inside of us. Joshua, you know, Joshua did the right thing. I mean, here he goes out. And I believe this is an incarnation, Jesus Christ in the flesh, Lord of hosts, it's his battle name. It's what Luther, Lord Sabaoth, it's his name of battle. It's the Lord's name when he's going to war. And here he is, has his sword drawn. Joshua said, are you for us or against us? And and the Lord said, I didn't come to take sides, I came to take over. And he did take over. And Joshua said, yes, sir. And he fell down on his face. You see, he had to realize his position. It's when we realize our position in Christ, who we are, In Christ, we realize our power is in the Lord. We have no power in ourselves. Our power is in the Lord. How much power do we have in the Lord? Jesus said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. 
Go ye therefore. All power. What, what a, I mean, think about this. Diseases vanished at his touch. Fish of the sea obeyed him. The demons yielded to his authority. The demons couldn't even go into a herd of hogs without his permission. They yielded to him. They called him Lord. They bowed before him, the demons did. The winds and the waves obeyed his command. Can he not give us victory in our life? Absolutely he can. Put up that second stanza again, Brother David. I love that. One of the reasons I want to sing this song is because of this stanza right here. You know, Luther, Luther really had a problem with spiritual warfare. I mean, he was the leader of the Reformer. And I'm not a big Luther guy. You know, if you're a true Baptist, you're probably not going to be a big Luther guy, right? Because Luther persecuted Baptists. The Anabaptists, that we're not, we're not Protestants, okay? Baptists are not Protestants. We existed toward the, till the time of Christ. We haven't always been called Baptists, but the, during the days of Luther, they were Anabaptists. When Luther came out with his 95 thesis and nailed them to the wall in Gutenberg, or what Berg was it? Wittenberg, that's what it was. He nailed him to the wall and everything, and, and it, it started a reformation based on the just shall live by faith. The Anabaptists rallied around him and said, we're for you. And he turned on them, his followers turned on them and started persecuting them because Luther brought into Lutheranism also, you know, baby baptism, and he never left. He, 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 he left the Catholic Church, but he stayed on the front porch, you might say. Okay, because of, of all that stuff. But Anabaptists persecuted him. And in the last 10 years of his life, he, he became an anti-Semite and wrote some terrible things about the Jews. So why are we reading this song? I mean, no, anyway. <laughs> but listen to this song. This is what he wrote. And he used to, you read his biography. He, he, would, he felt like the devil was in his room sometimes. He felt, and he had bouts of depression, really bad. But one time he said, he said, I felt the devil was, and he took his ink quill, you know, the quill they used to write with, and he threw his ink quill, and there's ink all over his walls. So his wife said, what's this all about? He said, the devil was in the room, and I was throwing this at him. So when he wrote this song, I believe God was on him. It's not inspired or anything like that, but it's, it's a, a good one. Look at look what he says. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? If it was up to us, we'd be losing. Go ahead, next, next slide. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is He. Here it is. Lord of hosts. Lord Sabaoth, His name. Go ahead, next. From age to age the same, and He must win the battle. That's based on this, this passage right here. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Our strength is in Him. That's the power of the believer. The best thing we can do is the first part of the day, we can just like get before, like Joshua did, and say, God, I'm taking orders today. I'm not in charge. You are. But when the spiritual battle comes, and we want to rear up and get in the flesh and try to fight it ourselves, like my friends used to say, you fed to get whooped. You know, in other words, you're getting ready to get whooped in and of ourselves. How do you know? How do I know that so well? Because <laughs> I've been whooped a few times. But when you back off and you say, God, this battle is yours. 
Lord, give me instruction. I'm going to fight the battle, but I'm going to do it in your strength. It's amazing what happens. Our authority is in, our, in the Word of God and in the power of the believer. So the power is from the Lord. Secondly, the posture. Verse, back to Ephesians chapter 6. The posture of the believer. Verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Verse 14. Stand, therefore. Why all the emphasis on stand? I think the Lord's trying to get a message across to us, right? He wants us to stand. Stand. The position of standing in the military sense is the idea of holding a critical position while you're under attack. Holding the position. The purpose of the Christian armor that we're going to study is so that the Christian won't lose ground. That we'll be able to stand. And not just stand, but go forward. There is no armor for the back of the Christian. Because... We're not going to turn, you turn your back on the devil, you might get stabbed in the back. Right? God wants us to be going forward in the battle. Be going forward. We got armor for the, for the armor. And we're going to look at this armor as we go through each week. You see, he hurls his darts at us. They're called fiery darts. They're the enemy. I mean, he's out to destroy your family. He's out to destroy my family. He's out to destroy us. And he don't let off. He's relentless in his attack. But he doesn't want us to know who we are in Christ. We're going to talk about that next week. And he doesn't want us to know how to claim it. Right here in these passages. How do do we know who we are in Christ? Well, verse 14 talks about, Stand therefore having your loins good about with truth. We claim our position by knowing the truth about who we are and who he is. And who we are in Christ. About by walking in his righteousness. The breastplate of righteousness. The next one is by understanding the gospel of peace. The next one, above all, taking the shield of faith. By faith and knowing how to appropriate the faith at the right time. The next one is by appropriating salvation, the helmet of salvation, to its fullness. By knowing the word, verse 17, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then 18 is prayer. Prayer makes it work. Sometimes people leave prayer off of the spiritual armor. Don't ever leave prayer off the spiritual armor. If you look at a soldier, you're going to see all these things on his armor. But Paul said, praying always. Don't you think prayer is, a, prayer is an offensive weapon that we have in our arsenal? So that's our posture. And once we have on the armor, we can stand against the wiles of the devil and not lose any ground. Let's look at a few more verses. Our stand is also in grace, Romans 5 and verse 2. Can't read two without one, right? Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We stand in grace tonight. Praise God, we need His grace. And His grace is sufficient. But because we've been saved, we stand in grace. Praise the Lord for that. We stand in the faith. 1 Corinthians 16 1 Corinthians 16, 
and verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit you like men, be strong. Stand fast in the faith. So our stand is in the faith. Quit you like men means to grow up. Okay, if you really wonder what that means. It's just quit being a baby. That's what that means. Grow up. I'm going to tell some people that all the time, but it, I'd probably get in trouble at Walmart, whatever. But, you know, quit you like men. Be strong. Our stand is in the faith. Our stand is in liberty. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 1, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So our stand is in liberty. And then lastly, in Philippians 1, 27, our stand is in unity. And this is, this is so important. Philippians 1, 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come, I may, whether, no, lost my place. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Unity is so important in this matter of spiritual warfare. Because we don't fight alone. We fight as a church. And when one of us gets hit, all of us ought to feel it. Right? It's the way it ought to be. You know, sometimes I think we, we feel like you know, if we really shared what was going on in our lives, other Christians wouldn't look up at us at much, as much. That's pride. That's pride. If you're having a spiritual battle, it's good to share it with somebody else. You need their support. We need one another. The devil has come to destroy and divide. But there's unity. We stand in unity for the faith of the gospel. We can't do what we do if we're not unified, praise God. We've got to be unified, and we need each other. We need each other. When people are in the valley, you need to get down there in the valley with them. You might have to get dirty sometimes, but that's what you need to do. And, and people go through all kinds of spiritual struggles. And sometimes we think, well, if, if, I, if I tell people at church, they're, they're not going to think much of me. Oh, they'll probably think more of you, to be honest. And, and you might find out that they're struggling with the same thing. We need to be real with one another. And, and, you know, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So the power of the believer is in the Lord. The posture of the believer is to stand, stand, stand. All right, we'll look at the other two next week. Father, thank you today for the Word of God. Thank you for the privilege to preach the Word of God. And Lord, thank you that we have victory in Jesus tonight. Pray you help us to apply this message to each one of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. You may have somebody that you know is going through a spiritual battle right now, or you may be. You know, maybe you need to write their name down and begin to pray for them, or pray for them more so from a different point of view. Maybe they're having all these kind of maybe psychological or whatever kind of problems. Maybe it's the devil that's attacking them. Maybe they're being spiritually oppressed. Pray for them that their spiritual eyes will be opened.
And uh, maybe you could pray during this time. If whatever you need to do, if you, if you need to come and pray at the altar, it's open tonight. Brother Rick, if you'll sing, we'll, uh, invitation's open.